Going Linux, episode 322, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just think about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, Larry. Hi, Bill. What's new with you? Not much. Work, work, sleep, and work. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But I hear some of us went on a cruise. Yes, I took a vacation, and that's one of the reasons why this episode is a little bit late. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch up again, I'm sure, but uh, we'll continue to have our regular number of episodes per month. Uh, just this one might be a little bit late, and maybe the next one as well. But they might we'll see forgive, what we can. Do. I think they could forgive you for a little bit of that. I think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think so, so anyway, anyway <laughs> we've got lots of uh, listener feedback here. Why don't we jump right in? Sounds like a plan. Okay. Well, Harold sent us an email about Wi-Fi. He wrote, I have been a listener for about a year, and I've been a Linux user since I bought my first computer, a Zanbu Mini, in 2006. It is still the best computing experience I have ever had. Since then, I have had a series of desktops and laptops. In the last few years, I have found that I am unable to log in to my local library, and then started using the library in the next town over. It was working up until a month ago. Also, I have had no luck with the Wi-Fi on the train and bus for the past couple of years. So, has the Wi-Fi login changed for these sites, or has Linux, i.e. Network Manager, missing some configuration? I would really appreciate it if you could help me. This has been a problem on several laptops and distributions. Harold. Hmm. Well, thanks, Harold. Sounds like they just changed the passwords. Yeah, maybe they changed the passwords. Maybe they changed the the SSID, the actual ID that you connect to. It really depends on what kind of error message, Harold, that you're getting. Uh, and I really don't have enough information on your email to be able to tell. Uh, I did exchange a little bit more with Harold and Harold wrote back saying, I just rode the Amtrak train to New York city and did something different. When I logged into Amtrak's Wi-Fi. I opened the Chrome browser and it opened a login page. I did a Google search of the problem and someone suggested that it was a problem with Firefox. Now I don't know if this will work with the library, but I will, try when I get home. I was an Ubuntu user until 16.04 when I switched to Ubuntu GNOME, which 
after the sad news from Ubuntu this past week, seems like I jumped the ship before it sank. I will be interested in how Ubuntu proper themes its new GNOME desktop. The Wi-Fi works fine at home and here in Queens at my sister's place and in the local coffee houses where they give you the password and you log in just as you would at home, but not at places like Starbucks where you need a web page to accept and log in. I think this is the case because on previous trips by bus, I could find the bus station Wi-Fi and it looked as if I was logged in, but no web pages would load. My wife opened her MacBook and Safari opened and presented her with a bus station login screen and she accepted it and was in. Thank you for your help and I will keep you updated about the library. Okay, so that additional explanation, Harold, kind of makes sense. If you had already connected to the library Wi-Fi and they subsequent to that had added in this uh, login page, maybe all you really have to do is attempt to go to a page like google.com or something like that. And usually these third-party login pages will jump in uh, when you try to access any sort of web page. So give that a try, and but ask at the library. See if they can explain what has changed. That's probably the best bet. You know, ask the librarian. They may or may not know, um, but the librarian may be the person that manages the Wi-Fi, or they may have a service that does it. Either way, they should be able to tell you what's going on. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, businesses are going to where you you connect, and then you have to accept the terms and conditions. So, right, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, our next email come from Greg, who wrote to tell us about the password safe and Dropbox. He went, Dear Larry and Bill, uh, uh, by the way, you got top billing this time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like many uh, Linux users, I migrated my computers incrementally from Windows to Linux. I realized early on that I needed a password manager and settled on password safe. And he gives the link in the show notes, um, which is written for Windows. I soon discovered that it also ran fine with Wine and Linux. Yay! As my collection of network computers here in the house grew. I, of course, wanted the same password data on all of them. Dropbox to the rescue. By moving the password safe database, passwordsafe.psafe3, into my Dropbox directory, I am. I now have my synchronized passwords at my fingertips, no matter what machine I am using. I no longer run Windows on any of my machines, but Password Safe works so well for me that I see no reason to change. I thought other sliders might appreciate the versatility of this combination during their migration to Linux. Seventy-three Greg W A eight F J K. That's was pretty clever actually yeah it sounds like password safe has a version for uh oh no he i was going to say it has a version for linux but he says he's running it in linux under wine yeah but hey as long as it works what the heck yeah that's pretty that's pretty uh, uh ingenious because no matter what linux machine he's using he's able to use the database because it's stored in the cloud that's 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 a good idea yeah I'm glad uh, I thought of that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Our next email is from Ambrose, who asked about his Wi-Fi problem. 
Bill and uh, Larry. I thought I'd give Bill top billing this time. Oh, so sorry for that joke. I'm writing about a recent problem I'm having, and I thought maybe Yin's guys or the listeners could help me out. Oh, yes, I'm a Yinser. Do you know what a Yinser is? I do not. So. Okay. I had to look it up, and a Yinser is somebody from the western Pennsylvania area, uh, and it comes from, the, the root of the word comes from the same origin as the phrase, use guys, you know, use oh, guys, okay. so yin's guys, it's kind of <laughs> that kind of thing, a slang term that's become popular in a regional area of the United States. I did not know that. Okay, well, it's, it's, it's the same as in the South when everybody says y'all. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, y'all. So you'll hear, hear a lot of uh, Southern people say, y'all, come on down. Mm. <laughs> of course. Okay. It's, uh, never mind. Let's move right along. All right, moving right along. Uh, Ambrose continues. Over the years, I've written several scripts and configuration files. This is sysadmin type stuff for setting up a new installation. I do a lot of installations, and I found if I keep this stuff in the slash user slash local structure, it's easy to just copy that to a new installation and soft link it into the system partition. So, for example, and this is the operative example, I use an rc.local to load the firewall and some IP sets. The boot expects this to be in slash etsy slash rc.local. But on my system, slash etsy slash rc.local is a link to slash user slash local slash etsy slash rc.local. You get the idea. This has worked well so far. It makes the setup of a new install a bit easier. The one problem is that I often have several Linuxes installed, each with their own copy of the slash user slash local directory. So if I make a change to one of the scripts, it has to be propagated to the other Linuxes and to the backup. This is error prone and a hassle. I thought it might be easier to put my slash user slash local on a separate partition. Any Linux I install can then mount that partition at boot time. So there's one copy in common, which eliminates the file sync problem. So I did this and rebooted works fine. The partition is mounted in the right place, except my rc.local was not run. The firewall and IP sets were not loaded, and the syslog showed no attempt to run rc.local compatibility. When I switch back, it works. So ownership and permissions are okay. I'm running Zubuntu with systemd as the init system. I don't know much about systemd, but my guess is that at the point of the boot, when the systemd is deciding whether or not it has run an rc.local, not all the partitions have been auto-mounted. So it sees my etsy slash rc.local, but at that point, it's a broken link. I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if it's due to systemd or Ubuntu's implementation thereof, but any ideas would be appreciated. Thanks for the podcast, The Spectacular Ambrose. Hmm. What do you think, Bill? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know enough about how systemd works, so... Yeah. I think system D may be a bit of a red herring here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 
I wrote back to Ambrose, Yinser's welcome. Uh, I've been to Pittsburgh a couple of times and I've lived in Western New Jersey several years ago. Nice town. Uh, clever solution to create the link. I suspect you're right though. The drive isn't mounted at the time the system tries running rc.local. My suggestion is to copy the script into a bash script in your home slash bin folder. So a, a bin folder in your home directory. Then add the script as a startup application. That way it's run only after your drive is mounted and your home partition has been recognized. Uh, I don't know whether you have any other creative ideas or not, Bill, but that's the one that I suggested. Um, as, as I said, I think it's just not mounting that partition before it goes to actually try to read that rc.local file. Huh. I'd be interested to see if that worked. Yeah. Yeah. Our next email comes from Billy, and he has a question for us. He says, Hey, Going Linux. I've only recently discovered your podcast, and I really enjoy it. I've got plenty of listening ahead of me. 320 podcasts. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's a lot of podcasts, but um, I think I was the only one to actually listen from the very beginning, so you'll see it kind of evolve. <laughs> I choose to use Linux because it's better for our environment. My laptop is very old and works perfectly with Ubuntu. No need to constantly buy new hardware. No need to throw resources you know, on the landfill. I'm sorry to see Unity go. Nevertheless, I understand that the ra- I understand the rationale. I prefer the older style uh, GNOME. Uh, Ubuntu, but I kept with Unity because of its consistency. I have a question. Does GNOME require more resources to run than Unity, and how long will it take Ubuntu to get back on track post-1804 LTS? Once again, well done on the podcast. Kind of regards, Billy Cork, Ireland. Okay. I think I can answer part of this. Um, okay. I would say the the gnome probably takes maybe a little less or just about the same as a unity um as far as consistency i would recommend him going with uh go with ubuntu mate uh because it looks just like the old gnome and i believe you'll see that it probably i think it'll probably run a little faster because uh, Ubuntu Mate's project, they've worked really hard to make sure it runs fast. And, and, and actually, you'll probably find some of the newer features kind of pleasant. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and since it's now an official flavor of Ubuntu, I think you'll find it very, very consistent. If you do choose to continue with the official GNOME version of Ubuntu, which is going to become the main flagship version of Ubuntu going forward, I think you'll find that they bring it up to speed pretty quickly and make it consistent going forward pretty quickly, probably with the next release, uh, which I guess will be, what, 1710? Um, Uh, it, It may take them to 1804 to get it to you know, a stable point and 1804 is a long-term support release. So that will definitely be their flagship from then on if they don't get it all completed by 1810. It's, it's a bit of work, but 
as you've noted, they do have an Ubuntu GNOME uh, spin right now, and I'm suspecting that that they they're just moving that community supported version into the the mainstream for Ubuntu. Uh, I don't know whether they're rewriting it from from scratch or spinning it off from that or how they're actually implementing it, but they'll have it and they'll have it yeah. stable. And I agree that GNOME probably uses less resources than than Unity, and certainly uh, Mate uses less than either of those two. I think that's a solid, some solid choices. I think so too. So let's move on to Bob. Um, Bob wrote back, having written us previously. Hi, Larry. I am flattered. I listened to the answer you gave to my question about mapping trackball keys in episode 320. You said you put a link to some other information in the show notes, but you posted exactly the same link I sent you. Did you have something else in mind? That link was in fact the technique I implemented and it seems to have no effect at all. This seems like something that should be really easy to do. So I like to put some effort into figuring it out. At the very least, I'll learn things. Is there anything you think I should look into that would help? Possibly what that xbind key src file is for. Well, Bob, uh, I posted your link so that other people would be able to go and see what you had done. And I think I posted some additional information, but maybe I didn't. I'll have to go back and take a look at the show notes for 320 and see if I missed something there. I know it's uh, a bit frustrating when you're trying to get mouse keys to work and you're messing around with key bindings and things like that. Uh, And sometimes it's just not possible to get some of these things working. And I hope that's not the case for you. Uh, Bill, have you had any experience trying to get trackball keys, uh, buttons, or even mouse buttons, or even keyboard buttons to work uh, that are not recognized by Linux out of the box? Well, I think I've been fairly lucky on that account. I really haven't had any issues getting it to see my keyboard, my keyboard, I'm sorry, for mouse. Uh, I've never used a trackball. Uh, the closest thing I come to that was when I had my Lenovo. It had the little uh, pointer, but everything everything seemed to work out of out of the bag. So uh, I don't know about this. I mean, uh, trackballs. I don't know how how it looks at them. You know, because a trackball you have um, basically a uh, a switch at the top, bottom, and left and right, and the, and the ball is what actually makes it. Uh, when you spin it over, it, it engages that, that switch. And I know you have to put different variables in and stuff, so I, I really don't know how it looks at it. Okay, well, let's turn it over to the experts in our listener community and ask them to provide Bob with a solution, maybe in our Google Plus community chatter group. Uh, if you have any suggestions as to alternative ways than the one that Bob uh, delineated in episode 320, uh, please feel free to share those with Bob so he can begin to figure out why, how to make these extra buttons work on his trackball. Yep. All right. Ambrose sent us another email. Uh, he wrote, Dear Barry and Lil. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> He shouldn't mess with me like that when I hadn't had enough coffee. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. In fact, this is his response back. Look at yeah. that. I, I, had, I had to look at that a minute like, okay. 
Um, your solution works well and I was, and was one I hadn't thought of. What I ended up trying was to make the, the etcrc.local an actual script whose only job is to run my user local slash etcrc.local. Uh, that seemed to satisfy Ubuntu's RC local compatibility test, so I think we're right. The partition wasn't mounted yet. I'm afraid it ultimately won't matter, though, since I think the RC local compatibility is a temporary solution on uh, Ubuntu System D. In the future, this may have to be a drop-in System D service. Since Bill is the well-known ham, I don't know about well-known, but my next question is for him. I have a multimeter, which I don't use very often, so I'm trying to use it to test for dead batteries, and I can never remember the symbols. One is a V with a squiggly line like a tilde on a keyboard. The other V is a straight line with three dots below. My guess is the squiggly line is supposed to look for a sine wave, and I should use the other V in my right. Is there any limit on the number of questions per listener? <laughs> Thanks again, the magnificent Ambrose. I responded to Ambrose. I had to actually pull my multimeter out and look at it, and I believe the answer, he had it right. The one with the sine wave underneath the squiggly line, as he likes to call it, is for AC power. And the one with the line and the three dots and the line and another line is for DC. So one's for AC and one's for DC. Uh, the good part about it is most modern multimeters, if, even if you have it on the wrong setting, it just, it won't hurt your meter. Unless you're plugging it into like 440 or something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the reply was uh, that it was the, the line with the three dots. The thing is, is, and uh, I feel kind of stupid is, you know, you don't use those, you know, I don't use my multimeter like I used to. So I had to actually <laughs> go look and say, uh, I can't remember myself. But uh, if you repeat that, I'll deny it. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bob. All right. All right, Sebastian wrote to say that he needs help. Uh -oh. Hi, Larry and Bill. First of all, I want to say that I love your show. I wanted to write to you for a long time, but I never took the time to do it. I've been listening to your podcast for more than a year now. Your show really helped me to get better with Linux. I have a computer that is running Ubuntu Mate 16.04 long-term support on kernel 4.10, on a 120 gigabyte SSD, home partition on a second one terabyte hard drive. Primary use for this computer is Plex Media Server. All media are stored on a NAS, two four terabyte hard drives mounted in slash media. So basically all files are on my one terabyte local hard drive or on my NAS. I have an external USB drive for backup too. R-Sync jobs are programmed every night to be sure I don't lose movies or music. This weekend, I left for three days, so I put my external drive into my safe in case something happened. 
When I came back, my Plex server seemed to be offline, so I SSH'd into my box and rebooted. After doing this, I completely lost access to the server, so I had no choice but to put a monitor on it. The screen there was slash dev slash SDA error. I thought it was my SSD or hard drive at first, but then I thought my backup hard drive was unplugged. I plugged it back in and the system booted back up. Plex is still not working though. I SSH'd into it and when I hit tab, I hit an error. Last time I had this error, it was a disk space issue. I looked at my disk space and there is 0% free space on the SSD. That's SDB1. I tried to see what folder or file was taking up so much space, but I am not able to do that. The best I was able to do is free 1.6 gigabytes of space. I lost my Plex settings doing so, but I managed to reconfigure it back. I need your help to find out what is taking so much space on my drive before thinking on cloning it to a bigger SSD. I need to free some space to be sure my Plex runs well without worrying. Sorry for the long message, but I need to explain everything. Thank you and continue your great work with your podcast, Sebastian. Well, uh, and Sebastian has provided us a couple of screenshots listing the size of his drives and so on. And you could tell that he has a shows up as a 90, 917 gigabyte home drive on SDC. Uh, SDA is his slash media slash backup, and it shows his 1.8 terabytes. Uh, his SDB is that 99 gigabyte hard drive with 1.6 gigabytes freed up. Uh, it's 99% used, and it's mounted on slash, just, just plain slash. So it's the root uh, mm-hmm. that's mounted. So... My thought was maybe he's got, because of all the errors he's had, maybe his hard drive is filling up with an auto-running script that generates a log, and his drive is filled up with log files. Yeah, I was thinking along those same lines, I was thinking that he might have also pointed um, by accident uh, his little SSD and that could be causing a problem, but I think yours might be the answer. He probably has it filled up with logs. Yeah, uh, that's that's the most probable explanation. It might be something else going on, but you know, given given that your system had a bunch of errors, that it's a Plex server, that it's going to keep trying to access uh, the the drive, and you had the drive unplugged for some period of time, uh, it's probably generated a bunch of error messages and it seems like 100 gigabytes is an awful lot of log files but i guess it's possible um and if you need some help finding the log files uh you might want to display hidden files when you're doing your display of the files um and in in the file manager you press control h i think it is to display hidden files and then look for anything that ends in dot log that's typically the uh the file extension for log files right bill yeah if you come across log files that ended something else or how would you find log files how would you recommend someone find log files oh um 
I was just thinking about that. Uh, couldn't you do like a wild card search uh, from the terminal? Like uh, I use like a star dot and then whatever the log extension is and see how see what you pull up. Yeah, and that'll give you a listing of you know what folder they're in and things like that. So that's that's probably good. And, yeah, it's, uh, it shouldn't be very difficult, and you could actually see what the size of the log files are or how many you have because you know you might have a log file that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, so you could do uh, an ls dash la space uh, star dot log and see what you get. That should give you a display of not only the file name, but the size it's taken up as well. Yeah, so, and you're using a wild card, so it tells it to look at everything. So that probably is the answer to that. Yep. So get get back to us and let us know, Sebastian. Yeah. I think uh, it's important for us to uh, get to the bottom of this because it's possible that this could happen to anyone at any time. Yes, and uh, I'd be interested to see uh, what what's eating up his space. Our next email comes from David, who told us that mate rocks, and we both knew that, but we'll continue. I am on a business trip CPA conference. I opted not to take my heavy computer-issued laptop. Instead, I took my used 200 HP, 13-inch HP stream computer with 2 gigabytes of RAM running Ubuntu Mate. I connected to the work PC using TeamViewer, and I felt like the CPA with the most expensive, most responsive laptop at the accountants conference. This leads me to ask, why would anyone buy a Chromebook when they can have a fully functional computer not prone to viruses by going Linux? I listened to Leo Laporte, who regularly recommends these Chromebooks, uh, and he says they're glorified web appliances. To anyone, I would say buy any PC, get uh, the Windows crap off of it, and install Mate, and you've got best of both worlds. Well, I think uh, the reason that uh, people like the Chromebooks is that there is really, uh, you enter your username, your password, and pretty much everything's just done for you. It takes a little bit more effort to uh, buy a computer, uh, install Linux, set up how you want, install TeamViewer, and so some people just won't, just can't or don't want to do that. So that's probably why they're doing it. Or you could buy a System76 as a Reason or an IntroWare or something like that, and then you have it all set up for you when you buy it. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, and yes. no, we're not we're not paid to endorse System76. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, there you go. Right. So uh, I think uh, David's on the right track here. We might have made that a Gone Linux story. Uh, I don't know whether he's gone Linux 100%. Thanks for the feedback on that, David. And we agree. Uh, Ubuntu Mate rocks for sure. And uh, yeah, I I struggle to come up with a reason to use my uh, old, it's getting old now, my old Samsung Chromebook, uh, even though its battery seems to last quite a long time. It doesn't do everything that I needed to do. <laughs> that's that's just it. So um, 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Why would anybody want a Chromebook when they can have a fully functional computer? Uh, you know, whether they buy one preloaded with Linux or whether they buy something else like your Streambook and install Linux on it. And I exchanged a couple of emails back and forth with David on this and asked him uh, what uh, what model of Streambook he has and did he have any driver problems in setting it up? And he said, no, he didn't have any driver problems at all. He says it's just a standard HP stream, mm-hmm. uh, and everything worked basically out of the box as soon as he got it installed. So great news on that one. Uh, HP 13-inch stream, uh, good choice for uh, installing Linux. Yeah, sounds like a, a nice little machine. Yep, absolutely. All right. I think that brings us to the end of our emails, doesn't it? It does. It does. And... I don't know if you have an application pick or not, Bill, but I'm always on the lookout for cross-platform applications that I can use with my work Mac laptop, as well as with Linux, and ran across something called, and it's been around for a long time, I know, but something cross-platform called SimpleNote runs on Linux, Linux, <laughs> runs on Windows, runs on uh, Mac, and it runs on Linux as well. And it is very, very nice, uh, simple note-taking application. You don't have to sync anything by Dropbox or anything like that because it does the syncing automatically. The downside is it's not anything super secure. Yes, the stuff is encrypted while it's doing its syncing, but the notes that you post... Um, are in the cloud and they're not specifically encrypted while in the cloud. So don't put anything insecure on there. Just put, you know, grocery lists and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, most of my notes are cryptic enough as they are, so I don't mind putting them on Simple Note, and it works quite well. How about you, Bill? Any uh, super duper applications that you've come across? Um, not really. I've been. Uh, playing with my new Samsung Galaxy 8, uh, so I really haven't been looking at anything except having my uh, my nose pushed into my phone, seeing what it can do. So, no. So what I is that? A, a, a tiny laptop or something? I mean, what? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> it's the new it's the new Samsung. I, I I upgrade about once a year, and uh, so I've been looking forward to it. And all I can say is it's a it's nice really, phone. Yeah, it's really fast. So yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'll see if I can't find a decent uh, <laughs> application, but I just – I have no excuse. I've just been so busy. Yeah, well, hey, that's the way it goes. And uh, thanks, Bill. <laughs> thanks for nothing. <laughs> thanks for nothing, Bill. Uh, okay. Um, next time around, we'll have uh, yeah. a uh, an application pick, I'm sure. It's usually me that doesn't have the application pick, so I'll let you off the hook here. All right, thank you. Okay, um, our next episode will be a regular user experience episode. We haven't picked the topic yet, so don't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, you can go to our website at com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73.
Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.